Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. The time is short. I know that. I'll not be long. I just want to stir you up to teach your children wisdom. I want you to go and look at it in print. I read it to you to begin this service. But here's David teaching Solomon and Solomon teaching Rehoboam and God the Holy Spirit teaching all of us. We prayed for your wife to have a safe delivery of that child of yours. You make sure you teach that child that wisdom is the principal thing. And what is wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord and keeping God's commandments. It's doing things the way God says to do them. It's loving Him, loving neighbor, ruling your spirit. Let's all teach our children that. Let's all be renewed to do it ourselves. The number one item of feedback I've received from preaching on child training is thank you for summarizing the things that I ought to be doing. (laughs) From a number of you. Proverbs chapter 4, look at that seventh verse and think of David, the man who killed Goliath, the man who established outposts and forts as far north as the Euphrates River and as far south as the Nile River. All nations gave tribute to him and he took their pagan dollars and gold and silver to build an exceeding magnificent house of the Lord in Israel. This is David, your brother. This is David the father. Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. And then he goes on to describe the blessings that come from getting that. This is what we want to give our children. I have broken the goals of child training down into four. The love of God, the love of neighbor, ruling your spirit, and a few miscellaneous ones. If you're taking care of the first three well, you hardly need the miscellaneous category. But yet we do have the Bible teaching us how to treat others and how to live on a day-to-day basis. Let's just think about a few of them before we go home. Romans chapter 13. I've got lots of references. Forgive the confusion. And I'm trying to pick the few references that would communicate the point clearly. Romans chapter 13. Here's a miscellaneous thing we want to teach our children. To respect authority. To always respect authority. Now I come from a generation, and I come from a place in our country where there wasn't very much respect given to authority. It's because there was a university there. If there's a university, that is always going to be the most liberal place in the vicinity. Because it's when they take children and put them together and teach them that they ought to think that they're wise and they're asked questions about how would you run the world, they come up with ideas and they want to burn everything else down. They they want to smoke dope and hallucinate. I'm talking about Ann Arbor, Michigan, the home of the University of Michigan. When you went to a University of Michigan football game, if you sat near the student section, you were going to get a buzz from secondhand marijuana smoke. It was a haven for liberals, as universities are. We want to learn respect for authority. They called policemen pigs. My father wouldn't let us call policemen cops. They're a policeman. I remember standing as as a teenager in the student section of the University of Michigan after a big victory when the university had hired seven policemen to protect the goalpost. 
And seven men stood down there in a circle with their backs to each other in a ring around the goalposts as they were assaulted by 30,000 high idiots. I stood there in sweat from every pore and cried even though I was pretending to be a tough guy at that football game that day because I saw men that were willing to protect a piece of stupid property that any one of them could have paid for because the university had said, protect that goalpost. There are certain events in each of our lives that we never forget. I never forget that. I stood there and wished that I had been at the controls of an M1 Abrams because I'd have come into that stadium and blown those students away. I was thankful that before they were under that mob, there were a whole lot of broken arms and necks and cracked skulls from their nightsticks. It was a pleasure to watch, but there weren't enough of them. The other 70,000 that weren't the doctors and lawyers that buy the season tickets at Michigan and had already left, the others stood and screamed, Pig! 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 About those seven guards. The Bible wants us to respect authority. I've turned you to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. This is civil authority and all other authority, but civil authority is what's under consideration here. Men like Caesar, men like Herod the king, who was an appointee of Caesar, men like Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, who was appointed by Caesar. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This is the word of the Lord. And we want to give honor and respect to all authority, and that's something you should teach your children. It includes your wife, who is their mother. It includes you as their father. It includes Brother Crosby. And that is good enough for me. I want them to understand the simplicity of New Testament worship. But teach them respect for the man of God. Teach them respect for for every policeman. Teach them respect for their teachers at school and the principal at that school. They should not have jokes, rhymes, or tell stories about the principal or the teachers. They should respect those positions of authority because from one end of this book to the other, it defends those in authority. Look at Exodus 22 and verse 28. Exodus 22. You know we could go for weeks on this one point itself. We don't need to. I just want to get your attention. Don't let your children make fun of those in authority. Don't let them make fun of our president. Or senators. Or mayors. 
or city councilman. They're all in positions of authority and they should be respected. Teach them to respect every boss in the job, every supervisor. They're in a position of authority. We are not to answer again. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Exodus 22 and verse 28. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Does the first half of that sentence mean that Elijah was wrong for making fun of Baal? Is God's here in this verse meaning something else? A human ruler. The God of heaven is every word of God pure. Can Scripture be broken? No. Did God choose the word God's? Does Paul, does, G, does our Lord Jesus Christ ever argue from the word God's? From this and other related, pa- yes he does. God knows exactly what word he chose. He said men in authority in this world are God's with a little g because I've given them authority from me. I ordained husbands, I ordained fathers, masters, pastors, and civil rulers, and put them in positions of authority to help for the orderly government of the world. It starts with the first authority relationship they work with. And that means you have to require them to honor parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 2. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Because it's the first commandment God gave with a promise. It's so important to Him, He threatens you with your life. You know, what can you die for in the Old Testament relative to parents? How about rolling your eyes? The eye that mocketh at his father, the eagles of the valley shall pluck it out. You go slam your door on your parent, there's a God in heaven that's going to grind you to powder for that. You are nothing compared to your parent. They've been married longer than you've been alive. They've had an entire lifetime to think about your shrimpy little life and everything you've done wrong in it. They're your parents. God put them there. And out of the six billion people on earth, God chose the very man that is your father to be your father. You need to always remember that. God does not make mistakes. He uses each kind of a father to perfect each person in a different way. Don't you ever let your children speak disrespectfully to you. I've told you what happened to me when I called my mother an old lady one time. Some friend was asking me if I could come out to play, and I said, I don't know if the old lady will let me. It's the last time I ever said it. It was the first time, the last time. It didn't matter to me. I never wanted to say it again. She said, come here, Johnny. She didn't say, come here. Johnny just came to her somehow. And I got a bar of soap in my mouth. A bar of soap in my mouth. Try it sometime. Johnny didn't want to say that to her again. I'll clean your mouth out. She's from the old school. My father was from the old school. This is a piece of heavy-duty electrical wire. Of course, my good brother Jeff Oley donated this to the cause. This is what my father used to wind up so he wouldn't have to go looking for a switch. And the shape that I just had to bend out of it is what he said it looked like when he got done with me. An M, because it was shaped over my rear end. We weren't allowed to talk to our parents that way. And you can't allow it in your house. Don't you ever let them say anything against you or your spouse. 
Don't you let them say anything against aunts, uncles, or grandparents. We need to teach respective authority from the first relationship they meet with, which is a mom and a dad. Then after mom and dad, they get into the other relationships like teachers, principals. Then, then they get their first job. And they need to, to address their masters as sir. Yes, sir. What do you want me to do, sir? How high, sir? You know what that means. And so you teach them respect for authority. The Lord wants us to do that. The Bible has its strictest language, most severe language in the New Testament, is for men who speak against civil authority. They're like brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. God says they're rabid dogs that need to be taken out and shot if you speak against what goes on in Washington and make fun of those men or ridicule those men. Of course those men make mistakes. So does every aspect of authority. If you want to rail on them, then I hope your wife rails on you and drives you to the corner of your housetop for the rest of your life because you want to sit in judgment on President George W. Bush when you don't have a modicum of understanding of what he has to deal with every single day. You expect your children and your wife, even though you make mistakes, to humble themselves under your authority and give you respect. All men love the verse, Ephesians 5.33, that, men are to, that, women, that women, wives, are to reverence their husbands. But how in the world can we expect our wives to reverence us if we're not reverencing our Father, and I don't mean that religiously, but our Father in Washington? Right. You know, and I don't care if that's the way Indians talked about Him or not. We have a great Father in Washington. It's called the President of our country. We don't make jokes about Him. Thou shalt not revile the gods. And our children can't hear us talk that way. We need to respect everyone in authority. Respect of authority. Because it's ultimately going to come down to the way they treat the Lord as well. Because He's the ultimate source of authority is the God of heaven. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. I just gave you a miscellaneous item of wisdom. This is found throughout the Word of God. Turn to Proverbs 12. I'm still talking about the previous point because I'm still worked up about it. I haven't, my, my wine bag is still part full because it gets me upset. And I, yes, yes, that little event I told you about had a severe effect on me. I'd have fogged that whole stadium. And I was a rebel. At that point in my life. But you know, you can't see your own sins, can you? But you can sure spot the sins of others. I was like David when Nathan said to him, what should we do to the man? Kill him. Make him restore that lamb fourfold. Oh yeah, I was ready to fry everybody in that stadium. And then I went home and treated my parents. Lord is so merciful. Sister... You're second in mercy. I'm first. And the church knows it. She always argues with me. She thinks she's first in mercy. That's what we all ought to be arguing. We're first in mercy from the Lord of heaven. Respect of authority. That'll get you so far. And, you know, that doesn't even matter. God said to do it, that ought to be enough. But it will get you so far. If you address those that you work for as sir, 
and you are respectful and submissive and easy to get along with. And when they correct you, you make it easy for them to correct you. You don't answer again. It is so hard to find employees like that today that when a manager stumbles upon one, they want to keep them with all their power because it saves them from the headache of all the rebellious types that they're going to have to replace them with. So they want to keep that Christian and promote him and make him happy. Yes, sir. Anything you want, sir. Right now. Yes, sir. Even if they've corrected you. I always, I didn't always do that. Because in one second, if they were correcting something I had done, my insides didn't like it, and it comes to the outsides too fast. So I didn't always do what I'm telling you right now. But I know when I did it, it worked, and I know that God said to do it. I know it's the right thing, and I know it's part of wisdom. And one more point on that. When I told you last Sunday that Solomon wrote Hiram, king of Tyre, and he wrote him in such a humble way, respecting his authority as a king of one of the greatest city nations at that time, Hiram wrote him back from that letter and said, Blessed be the Lord Jehovah of Israel, because he's blessed my good friend David with such a wonderful son. Do you know how he knew that? Because the way he was addressed by Solomon. I'm going to tell you something. Solomon was coronated and installed in that government with great honor. But he did not let that honor go to his head. He showed honor to another king. And that other king said, what do you want? Do you need 40,000 stone hewers? Now think about that. Do you need hewers of stone, my craftsmen, to come down there and build your exceeding magnificent temple? You got them. You want the best cedars for my nation floated down the Mediterranean for that temple? You got them. Do you know where it all came from? Proverbs chapter 4, if you're listening to me and putting the dots together. I can't get them together very well, but you're supposed to do that. You know, there's some obligation on hearers to make up for speech impediments. Wisdom is the principal thing David had taught Solomon. Solomon knew how to respect authority in the way he dealt with Hiram, and he had Hiram as a lifelong friend and helped build the temple of the Lord. That is exciting to me. When I read those words, a pagan king blessing the Lord Jehovah for such a fine young man in Solomon. And that's what I want for every one of you. I want that for you. I want your name spoken of among faculty meetings at Bob Jones Academy because you are such a prince of a young man. You respect authority. All authority. It starts right at home with this one. And then it goes to that one. And every teacher. I want you to be a prince. That doesn't sound bad, does it? It will give you a crown of glory, Proverbs chapter 4 says. Enough about respect of authority. Sorry for taking so long. I don't care. I know that from the front of this book to the end of this book, it's teaching that. And we've got to teach it to our children. Don't ever let them get away with saying something disrespectful to you. There are certain things that have to be crushed. And I'm going to the second one now. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12 and verse 22. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. Honesty is the best policy. They say George Washington taught us, but we don't need George Washington. We need this right here. Wisdom is the principal thing. With all thy getting, get wisdom and get understanding. Honesty. 
Because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Once you lie, lying is different from all other sins. Lying breaks trust in a different way than other sins does, so that you have to wonder, it's hard not to, wonder if the person's telling you the truth in the future. Lying lips are an abomination. That's pretty strong language. When something's an abomination to the Lord, He loathes it. He hates it. He abominates it, which is what makes it an abomination. Honesty. You always tell the truth. You don't exaggerate. You're forthcoming with it. You get right out there and say it. No, I didn't do that. I failed. Will you forgive me? Be honest. You know, children reason a different way. And this is why you're a child. You're in trouble. Dad confronts you. Did you do that? The little mind gathers up its few resources and says, if I tell Dad that I did it, then Daddy's going to whip me. So I'm going to lie to Daddy so that I don't get a whipping. That he, They've marshaled all their resources, scraped all the brain chips together on the table, and they come up with that solution. I'm going to lie to Daddy. No, I didn't do it. Well, then who did I don't know. And you might point at a sibling. He might have done it. And that's a child. Didn't Hey, does everybody in here know exactly what I'm talking about? You know, I'm thankful for parents. You need two whippings, Johnny. One for what you did and two for lying to get out of it. And I tried to practice that on mine. Hate lying. Crush lying. Lying is terrible. Lying's a problem in the soul. It's a problem in the brain. It's not really a temptation. It's a thought-out thing. You know, a child might walk by and do something or do something foolishly or forget the rules, but lying's different. Lying is a, pre- lying is a premeditated act to deceive parents, to deceive someone in authority. Crush lying. Don't you ever let that little guy lie to you. Don't you ever let him lie to you. Not, not those two girls. Don't let them lie. I used to tell the boys. They remember, see? They know instantly. That little neighbor that irritates you. Please forgive the illustrations. I'm not good at this. I only know one thing, but I'm trying to apply it to your life to know how serious I am about this and how serious the Lord is. I said, that little neighbor that irritates you, if you kill them in a fit of rage someday and bury them in the woods... And when their parents come to my house looking for them, and I ask you if you know where they are, and you say, yes, I killed them today and buried them in the woods, I said, we can always work through a problem like that. Now, you may think that I'm really twisted. Here's the point. We can always work through something when you confess your sin and repent. But when you continue to lie and try to deceive me, it breaks our relationship in a very unique way. We can work through anything where you tell the truth. If you will own up to the fact that you have done something wrong and that you are repenting and tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you can always work through that event. It's when there's deception and lying going on that you can't get to the bottom of it. But if you will help somebody in authority get to the bottom of it, there's, there can be forgiveness. There can be repentance. There can be restitution. Of course my example's extreme. Don't you know who you have as your pastor? The illustrations to make the point, lying is terrible and God hates lying. From one end of the book to the other. I find in Revelation 21, 8, and even as a child, I, I did not like this verse. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. 
That's the wording. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Oh, I knew something about me that I had lied. Thanks be to the God of heaven, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And do you know what Jesus Christ is called? The faithful and true witness. He has never lied, and I stand in His righteousness at this moment before the God of heaven. I have never lied. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Jesus Christ's righteousness covers me completely, and I'm thankful for that. But God hates lying. So let's make sure we teach our children to tell the truth, even if it hurts, even if it's painful. And if your child tells the truth in a situation where they could have lied to get out of a spanking, show them some mercy to give them a reward so that they know that it's important to tell the truth. If they lie to get out of a spanking, double, triple it, or quadruple it to help them learn that you don't lie to get out of a spanking. You know, when the officer comes up and says you were doing 60 in the 45, oh, no, sir, I was doing 47. You know, throughout your whole life. When did you punch out yesterday, young man? You better tell him exactly what's on that time card. Once you start down that road, it's going to tear your life to pieces. You never get ahead by lying. Every lie is going to come back and get you eventually and bite you. And the Lord's going to bite you on top of that and chastise you and chasten you with it. Hate lying and teach our children to love honesty. Look at chapter 6 of the same book. Proverbs chapter 6. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for wisdom. We thank You for telling it's the principal thing. We thank You for giving us examples like David and Solomon. We pray that we might apply these to our children and that we might be convicted ourselves to be even more honest, to respect authority even more than we have. Proverbs 6. There are six things, yea, seven, the Lord hates. They're found in verses 16 through 19. Verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Seven things there that God hates and are an abomination to him. Is there one that's repeated in that list? Lying is repeated in that list twice. Did God make a mistake? Did He get confused? Or is He trying to give us an emphasis of things that God hates? He hates lying and bearing false witness against anyone. I want to tell you in the Old Testament, boy, when you took that oath, the Lord said if you ever took that oath and testified wrongly against someone, whatever the punishment was at stake for that person was the punishment you were going to get. If it was a murder trial and a capital punishment was at stake, then you, for perjuring yourself in court, were going to be put to death. That sounds incredibly beautiful to me. Doesn't it to you? That is sweet. Sweet. Now they slap you on the wrist. Give you a cookie and send you home. You've done your duty. Capital punishment in a capital trial for you misrepresenting the activities of someone else. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Oh, these things need to be taught into our children. We cannot let them slip. We must enforce them. We must train them. We must tell them the beauty. We must show them the pain if they violate these commandments. Romans 12:17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. 
provide things honest in the sight of all men. There's honesty, and then there is providing things honest in the sight of all men. You can go out of your way, and it will always cost you more to do things in an honest way where others look at it and can visibly see that you are very honest. An example. The Apostle Paul, when he was raising funds from Greece to send to the poor saints in Jerusalem, he did not carry the money. He did not send it with one man. He did not send it with any two men. He did not send it with just three. He sent it with specially chosen men. Do you remember when we went through the book of Corinthians? Second Corinthians chapter 8. He sent it with men whose reputations were known throughout the churches as being very honest men. Because he, and he tells us why. To provide things honest in the sight of all men. See, he was already honest. Paul was an honest man. But he did things in a way so that they were seen to be honest. Everything you do, even if you have to go an extra step to make sure everything is above board and honest, whether you need to write out a contract or you need to do something in public or you need to get witnesses to witness a transaction, make sure it's honest and above honest. It's visibly honest. It's clearly honest. It's excessively honest. Anyone can see that it's honest. That's what the Bible wants us to do because he's a God of truth. We represent a God of truth and our lives should be lives of truth. One more. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. I personally could sit at this teat all day long. Items of wisdom and understanding that David and Solomon taught. Who else would you ever want to learn anything from? Confucius? He's confusion. We want David and Solomon. Joseph Smith? Mary Baker Eddy? And Christian scientists? They're neither Christian nor scientists. They have as much validity in the meaning of their words as do grape nuts. Which are neither grapes nor nuts. We want the Word of God. You don't want anyone else. And you certainly don't want Jonathan Crosby. We want this book. And David and Solomon, men who know better, men who were inspired, and words that God preserved had this to say about the third thing I want to teach you about your children, and that is humility. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. God is going to judge the proud. Now, some, I don't have all, I'm not going to take you to all the references. God will judge proud men. If you want man and God to hold you in favor, then you need to be humble. I have heard since I was a little boy, pride goeth before a fall. When I would come home and gloat, about having won at some athletic accomplishment or anything else, whether it was in school or anything else, I would hear, pride goeth before a fall. You're about to take a dive, Johnny. You're about to take a dive. And that's what we want to teach our children and cut that off, that gloating, that pride, that arrogance, that haughtiness, that conceit about any advantage that you might have. And even if you don't have an advantage, it amazes me how those that have no advantages have so much pride. It's amazing. They ain't even got anything to be proud about. 
but they still got it in their hearts. It's still pumping out because it's in the sin nature of all of us. Even if we ain't got nothing, even if we're losers, we still think we're better than everyone else. Isn't that incredible? We are perverse, depraved creatures. Pride goeth before destruction. The Lord is going to take someone down who thinks proudly about themselves. And in haughty spirit before a fall. And you know we could multiply examples that we have witnessed in the world at large and close at home of someone getting puffed up about themselves and then the Lord takes them down. You know, Pharaoh was taken down, don't you say? Pharaoh sat in that throne and said, Who are you, Moses? And who is this God you're talking about? Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? He drowned in the Red Sea. Goliath came out and said, What do you think I am? Some dog that you send this little boy out against? Well, yes, we do. You're just a Philistine dog. And our little boy is going to whip your backside and chop your head off. Pride goeth before a fall. They walked up the gangplank to that beautiful new ship by White Star Line sitting in Liverpool that had those three magnificent smokestacks and said even God couldn't sink this ship. Oh, you want to cancel your ticket right then even if it cost you two grand in 1912 to sail the North Atlantic. You want to cancel your ticket. You don't want to be on a ship where somebody's opened their mouth like that. And these athletes that have already been mentioned in this assembly, they are known for that. They are so, not all of them, not all of them, but many of them are so puffed up about themselves and so in love with themselves. And when they're interviewed about themselves, the most that God ever gets is some backdoor compliment. I want to thank God for making me so special and better than everyone else. That's the kind of credit they give God. Pride goeth before destruction. We need to teach our children to be humble. When they come home and they've got an A, they got the highest grade in their class, they shouldn't be gloating about it. That shouldn't be the most important thing. And they should lift up thanks to God for helping them do better on the test than they probably should have if they got that kind of a score. Teach your children from the get-go when, as you have them. God gives them to you in a little bundle, about seven pounds, a little sack of water. Can't think, can't do anything. And He gives it to you like that, and as it grows, teach it to be humble. Because it says, better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. If you can teach your child to be humble, then they're going to have a better life, no matter what their circumstances are, because they know how to handle it. Because it's better to be humble with nothing than to be proud with lots. 1812. Proverbs 18.12. You know, when David and Solomon got together and started teaching, does, do we encounter this very often in the book of Proverbs? Pride, conceit, haughtiness, humility. Is that very often in this book? Because it is a, an important part of wisdom. Don't you let your children brag or boast. And you know they're all prone to do it. We're prone to do it. But we've learned to restrain ourselves a little bit in public. Little children haven't learned that yet. And they will cut loose with things that give you a perfect occasion to sit them down and say that was totally wrong. I don't care how many scoreless innings you pitched. Listen, the batters you were facing, I could put a paraplegic up against them and he could pitch scoreless innings. Lord help us. Young Anthony, you know I'm just using you as an illustration. 
but I hope you're still listening. Proverbs 18:12 Before destruction the man of the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. There it is. This is a rule of wisdom. I want to tell you something. This is not taught in the in the Harvard MBA program. Harvard graduates more arrogance than any other university in this country just because their university is spelled H A R V A R D if I spelled it correctly. They graduate arrogance. This isn't taught there. But do you know what? Do you want to be honored? Do you want to be promoted? Do you want to rise? Do you want to be a prince? Do you want to be noble? Then be humble. Because it says here in 18.12, before honor is humility. So in order to get honor, you need to be humble. And before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. 29.23. Proverbs 29.23 Thank you, Lord, for raising up such wonderful men, glorious men. David and Solomon. We get to read the summarized, inspired writings that God gave us. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Get down, and the Lord will lift you up. He giveth more grace to the humble, but he resisteth the proud. Do you want God resisting you in your life? It's amazing. God just puts His hand on some men and holds them back. And they wonder why. Because they're proud. They think highly of themselves. And there's other men that God just lifts up and elevates them out of the dunghill and sets them among princes because they were willing to get down. God resisteth the proud, but He giveth more grace to the humble. So we want to teach our children that. Don't let them brag. Don't let them boast. Don't let them talk about what they've done. Cut that off and teach them humility. Last reference on this last point, Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. Verse 6. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king. And stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. In all of your dealings with others, take a back seat. It is far better to take a back seat and have someone say, I didn't know you were here. Come up here. I want you to sit with me. And then you're honored before the whole crowd. But if you go into a situation like that and go to the front seat and say, Hey, it's good to see you. you mind if I sit right here? Uh, no, I don't want you to sit right here. I-, I do mind. I want you to go to the back corner because this is already reserved for somebody important. And uh, you in shame have to go to the back. Now, Jesus picked this one up and teaches us this in the Gospels. In every, every situation you have, choose the back seat. Choose the back of the room. Let someone else take the front. If you, if you get called up, praise the Lord. Don't ever toot your own horn. Don't ever go and talk about what you've done, lest somebody says, well, we didn't really need that done anyway. Don't say anything and let someone else honor you. How's that worded? Let another... Let another man's mouth praise thee, and not thine own. 
Don't ever praise yourself in pride. Let someone else do it. If you've done something worthy of praise, guess what? You will be praised. Do you know why that verse hasn't usually worked for you? Because you didn't do anything worthy of praise. Haven't you figured that out yet? If you've done something worthy of praise, you're going to get praised. Someone will praise you. Three little things. I want our sons to be like David and I want our sons to be like Solomon. Three little things. Respect for authority, honesty, and humility. May God help them and all of us parents to be wonderful examples of all three. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.